This is Renegade's Roundup. Your best source for recaps, info, and discussions about the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Zach. Hey, what's up, Hellraisers? Time for another episode of Renegades Roundup. And this one's going to be interesting because even though Arlington lost, they're still very, very much in the playoff hunt, which is quite the contrast from the way the North Division is shaking up because a team with two wins in the North Division is already eliminated from playoff contention, and yet a team with one loss in the South, or one win, (laughs) one win in the South, is still in the playoff hunt. This is just crazy. I'm joined by Joe again, back for more fun. And Joe, this is probably a a very, very weird circumstance that you would never see in a league like the NFL. But in the XFL, anything can happen. And if the Guardians win out, they could still theoretically have a shot at the postseason. It's just, it's crazy right now. Part of me loves it, part of me hates it. I don't know which side is more... Uh which side I'm leaning to more because the part of me that loves it, you know, I love chaos and that would be absolute chaos. If the guardians started Owen with three Oh and four Oh and six, no, Oh and six, Oh and six, right? They just won. They just won their game last week. Uh, if they started Oh and six and made the playoffs, that's incredible. The part of me hates it because God, how bad is the, is the talent in this league that an Oh and six team can make the playoffs. So, well, just have to wait and see, but you know it is huge for them to beat, and the, the team they beat too was undefeated. It was a battle of undefeated versus un- un- unwinnable, un- un- unwinnable, yeah. winless, won- winless. Won- yeah, won them all versus the winless, and the winless prevailed, and that's going to be part of what we talk about when we take a look at stuff around the league. So rev up your engines, Renegades fans! It is time for cylinder number one. And, I mean, let's just go ahead and dive right into it. The the notion that you can have a a winless record and still come into your homestand and beat the D.C. Defenders, final score 37-36, Quentin Dormady has had himself a month. In the last month, he's been accused of, like, being a traitor to the team, being put on executive suspension from the league, and then he turns around and puts up six touchdowns against a team that is super tough, like DC. And they find a way to eke out a win in spite of some turnovers, in spite of everything being against them. They prevail 37 to 36, and they're not the only ones that lost DC. Houston lost. And San Antonio lost against the Vipers. So not, pretty much all of the teams that we've got left on our schedule look fairly beatable. Like, D.C. looks vulnerable. Houston has lost, what, three in a row? There's still a chance for us to run the table and make the playoffs, maybe even host a playoff game, depending and on how we are things on fall. The right, we're on the right track, Zach. We scored 15 points last week. <laughs> I said I'd go crazy if we scored more than 14, and I was cheering up and down in my in my apartment because we scored 15 points. Two, Problem was, it was 
too too early, not enough early on, and then uh, not enough late. It was too much too too late for any change. But uh, we digress. We'll get into that. But you know oh, the yeah. fact that it is that wide open is you know like I said, it's incredible. It's like one part of me wants to root for Cavs, and part of me is like, dear God, what are we watching? It's like, ugh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to lean myself over the chaos side because who loves who doesn't love chaos? We just had March Madness, so oh yeah, had had that dose of chaos there, and now it's kind of just pushing it on into the XFL. So yeah, yeah, Houston really, I don't know what happened to them, but three in a row, guys, yikes. Well, okay, so being without Silvers, I think, has been a big factor. I th- I think with Brandon Silver's not orchestrating the offense. It's just not the same with McDonald under center. No, and and poor San Antonio, they've lost three quarterbacks to injury now. Kurt Bankert with three fractured ribs out for the season. Yeah. They've already lost Cone. They lost Sinnott. They brought Paxton Lynch over from the Guardians. The Paxton Lynch experiment is officially over in Orlando, and Lynch is going to be contending for... The starting job now in San Antonio, just because they need a warm body who knows how to throw the football, and it's just it it it's crazy to think that with San Antonio as banged up as they are, and with Houston as vulnerable as they seem, Arlington still has a chance to be the division champs and host a playoff game. Yes, they do. They just got to figure it out on the offensive side. And really, does Paxton Lynch know how to throw a football, Zach? That's the question. I mean, I think he thinks he knows how to throw a football. <laughs> he knows I how think, to throw, he knows how to, throw he it to the other team. <laughs> oh, that was bad. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him in San Antonio. What if it's a whole, what if it's just a change of scenery and he just absolutely lights it up? I hope not, because that means it. Renegades are in trouble, but uh, that'd be interesting to see. So, you know, a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting transactions happening mm-hmm. in the XFL. And uh, the Renegades adding a, another quarterback to their team, mm-hmm. our uh, Clemson Mizzou quarterback, Kelly Bryant. I remember Kelly Bryant. I, I vaguely remember him. He was before Deshaun Watson, wasn't he? I think so. Yeah, he's, so. he's he's pre-Deshaun Watson, and he's spent some time with the fan-controlled football league as well, trying to keep that semi-pro career active, no matter uh, what the environment may be. And so I'm I'm really proud of him for being able to make it this far. He's been trying to, like, scrap and claw his way back in. He's not going to be active this week. They're, the two active quarterbacks are going to be Perez and Anderson. But for Bryant to be added to the mix and to be a part of the team, be a part of the XFL – um, Coach Stoops said in an interview that he was somebody that uh, their director of player personnel has been watching, and they wanted to give him an opportunity here with a few weeks left in the season, and we'll see what he can do. Maybe all he's doing is getting some practice film and getting some tape that he can distribute to other possible teams that he could play for, but the fact that he's getting practice reps in a league like the XFL is probably a big deal for him, so... I'm really excited to see that. The reason being, Plitt is now on the injured list. I didn't realize that he got that hurt in the Seattle game, but he he did get hit pretty hard, I think, in the fourth quarter while they were trying to mount a rally. And so his injury has put him on the injured list, the reserve, whatever you want to call it. And I right. don't know I don't know how long he's going to be there, 
But this just opens the door even further for the Luis Perez situation to really, really hit its stride. And there's an interesting addendum that has been put into all of that. I have read on Twitter, Joe, that Perez requested for a trade with Coach Woodson. And because they knew that they were eliminated from playoff contention, he honored that request and they set up like a pseudo trade just so that they didn't have to release him and have somebody else sign him. Mm. I think that's a pretty respectful thing that you're willing to do like a fake trade of sorts in order to give proper dues to a quarterback who put in a lot of work for you. It doesn't do much for Ryan Mueller, who was recently released by the Vipers. That's got to be incredible. Hey, you're going to Las Vegas. Hey, hey, never mind. Going back to our Hey, hey, shit. never mind. Well, I mean, with the hub being here, it seems like it was just a paperwork formality. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Like, he probably didn't dress for Vegas, so he was at the Snake Pit, which is no big deal. Cashman Field is a is a crap hole anyways. Oh. Probably, probably better that he didn't play there. And then they come back to Arlington, he gets released, and the Renegades pick him back up. If you look at the XFL waiver wire, Mueller is back on the Renegades roster. Arlington basically got Perez for free. I know. It's beautiful. It's just... I it, that it, is it, that is the thing that I don't know whether I love it or hate it. That similar to the chaos that you were talking about with the league standings, I don't know how much I like this this whole under the table dealings of like, hey, we're gonna trade you, but not really, and you're gonna be back here in a week. Like, I get that they did it out of respect for Perez, but how disrespectful is it to a player like Mueller that he gets traded and then gets waived and then gets picked up again by the team that traded him? Right, you don't really see that often, and you know what? If Perez pans out here, and it's not the offensive coordinators, then holy cow, we we steal the century. Honestly, I mean, it is you. Not that you know Perez is uh, you know Peyton Manning or anything, but you know for the XFL standards, you know if he comes out and plays good and puts out a show and gets the Renegades some wins, then we won. We we won. We won so much there. So, but real quick, I want to as... talk about Plitt. Oh, oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry, there was a little bit more to say. No, I'm sorry. There was a little bit of a lag. I was waiting for your words to catch up. I think my internet uh, is not doing so hot tonight. But um, Perez is listed as the number six passing quarterback in the league. He did a lot for the Vipers with 906 passing yards. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And he's done that in only five games. Like... It's pretty impressive when you look at look at it on the XFL.com stats page. Exactly. And real quick, I know Plitt's hurt, but we you texted me. You, you texted me about Plitt during the oh, game. No, 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 no. <laughs> I got to bring it up. I'm sorry. Zach, it's like Dr. Seuss. And he goes, oh, well, I'm not going to say some of these because some of them are me. But like, like, uh, like Plitt throws pick. See, see, Plit, sit, <laughs> sit down, Plit. Plit ain't it. Oh, I'm like, oh, dude, come on, man. Ah. I'm just picturing a Dr. Seuss book, and we hope we hope Plit gets better. You know, no one likes injuries, and no one wants to see anyone get hurt. But mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you compared it to Dr. Seuss. I mean, it was rhyming. We had been texting that privately for a while. That Plit ain't it. 
And time and time again, with the fumble touchdown against the Brahmas, with the lack of productivity at the at the exact worst times, I mean, we'll get into last week's game in just a second here, but, like, just the timing of it. Yes, they had pretty good offensive numbers this year, but a lot of that was from the ground game. The running game finally improved. It really wasn't Plitt. So, is Plitt it? Plitt ain't it. Oh, man. Seems like a great guy. Seems like a great guy. So, you know, again, I really wish him the best with his injury. Uh, Get well soon and... Uh, yeah, no, no, no. We we never wish no. ill on a player no. ever. And I wish uh, he maybe comes back and you know plays good if he gets a chance again. So, you know, good good luck to him. But let's talk about let's talk about last week's game. Yeah, let's go ahead and dive into it. We've talked enough about what's going on around the league, but felt it was worth noting some of those things like the new quarterback and Mueller coming back, um, the big upset in Orlando. That's something that we need to be careful about because. With a new offensive coordinator, they're getting better. And that's going to be something we're going to talk about in a future cylinder. But right now, we're going to focus on last week's game. So rev them up again, folks. It is time for cylinder number two. Joe, final score of that ball game, 24 to 15. And it was like an 18-point second quarter and that, that that's that's just really really tough to come back from in any league if anybody puts up 18 on you in one quarter it's really really tough to come back from that and our offense as we've talked about before is not built for a comeback they are built to get a lead and then the defense is built to help sustain that lead but allowing 18 in a row that's just that's tough for anybody to well, come back from. Well, this is the point where if, if there is free Italian music, I'd hope you use it. If not, I'll do it. I mean, he went off 21 of 36, 266 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And he was the lead rusher, 52 yards. So, you know, when you can't stop Ben Danucci, you have a problem. Well, and Danucci had like 50 people that he got tickets for because he played for hey, the Cowboys. Right. He he had a lot of people that wanted to come see him play and finally had the opportunity and he showed out on probably his biggest stage and so you know credit where it's due he he played a heck of a game and just Seattle as a unit played really really well. We had um exactly the same number of plays, 56 apiece, but they outgained us. They averaged more yards per play. They did it on fewer first downs. Um, they were more efficient, almost 60% efficiency on third down, which is just insane. Um, it, it, it's just a better game. It was just a better performance. I will say, though, the one thing that surprised me, and this is something that I really, really want to touch on, the fact that for the first time all year, we led in the category for total rushing yards. We outrushed them. 124 to 115. I know it's just by nine yards, but the fact that we outrushed an opponent, that's the first time that's happened all year, I think. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Sometimes. And and we had more rushing TDs, too, two to one. So we did. Davion Smith finally showing some productivity. I don't know, you know if it's just him or if it's the offensive line or 
combination of both, but that was nice to see. And we didn't we didn't lose or win the turnover game, so really nothing you could hang your hat on there. It really, it came to the defense and not being able to stop Ben DiNucci. Well, what's really weird is we've been harping on the quote-unquote lack of rushing productivity, but unless your name is Brian Hill or Abram Smith, there's really not a whole lot of rushing productivity to speak of in the XFL. Statistically, again, looking at XFL.com, Davion Smith is the league's third leading rusher with 278 rush yards and third in the league in touchdown rushes. Thanks to those two that he had last week, he's got a total of four now. The only ones who have more are Max Borgie with Houston and Smith, who's got six. So when, when you're looking at it in the grand scheme of things, I think our rushing attack is getting better at the right time. And if we can continue to improve, if we can continue to get Letty Brown more touches, I mean, it's a pretty decent contribution when you go for 34 of the team's 124 yards as the backup running back. So it's a decent one-two punch that we've got going on here, and I would definitely like to see them get the ball more. I I would too, and, you know, kind of just establish that running game, and... We've had struggles with that all year long, and kind of think it was working here in this game, and then we kind of went away from it. And you know, I honestly, at some points, I don't know what the heck. Obviously, I don't think Stoops is calling the offensive plays. Sometimes I wonder what uh, what our offensive coordinators are doing, um, and I wonder what Stoops is doing. You see, at the end there, we didn't do the fourth and fifteen. Yeah, like I mean. Would it have made a huge difference? Well, guess what, folks? It would have because you can get nine points in the XFL. Yep. So we could have tied the game. Yep. When that and, that and that that was a that was a point that I wanted to make sure we put in the show notes was we were down by nine in spite of everything. In spite of everything, we get a late touchdown in the fourth quarter and eight play seventy-two yard drive. Very impressive. Four minutes taken off of the clock. There was 2.17 to go in the game, and we had the two-minute warning and all three of our timeouts. So I really could see this either way because we've been talking this entire season about how the defense is what's going to win us championships. Mm -hmm. I totally understand the logic behind wanting to put it in the hands of your defense and try to get a three and out. You've got the timeouts. You've got one of the best, statistically speaking, one of the best defenses in the league. But looking at how the game had progressed so far, Danucci had been lighting it up all game. And when you look at the at the final drive, Seattle was able to melt that last 217 off the clock. And if they don't do that, if we convert the 4th and 15 and keep the ball out of Danucci's hands then yeah, we could have tied it up. So it's it's frustrating to see when teams have that option. You've got it in this league to be able to do that, and then you don't. That I think that's what was really frustrating. It felt like a scared tactic. Instead of being bold, instead of feeding on the momentum of your touchdown, you played it safe, and it bites you in the rear. Yep. <sighs> oh... Well, I'm, I don't know what to say other than it just, I get the, I get the decision, I get the decision, I get the decision, 
But at the same time, when 4th and 15 is there for the taking, we saw how well it worked for you know, St. Louis against San Antonio. Exactly. Um, why do you not maybe take that chance? I don't know. Uh, I guess the bright side, if there is a bright side from this, not a lot of people watch the game. So, no, <laughs> uh, no. Well, uh, we, we were touting how Friday Night Lights was the, like the first time it's happened in the in the history of the league like we never had a friday night game before we're probably never going to have another friday night game with 144,000 viewers on fx and like, 11,000 there 11,000 of attendance which wasn't bad like we we kind of been averaging 12 so i mean it's not off by that much to to the credit of friday night lights with the xfl pickleball outgained viewers uh, this weekend as a whole compared to the XFL. So it's not just the Renegades and Dragons game. It's everybody. Well, and okay, I, Con- yeah. consider this. This was the weekend of the Final Four. Uh-huh. This was also the weekend of the Women's National Championship, which mm-hmm. set records with over 9 million viewers. And one of these XFL games was going up in direct competition with that. Oh, and I, you're not gonna beat you're not gonna beat that, right? Uh, yeah, especially with the way the the women's game was going, and with the well, I mean the with the final four. I mean Saturday that was incredible. If you didn't catch those games, I'm sorry because well, one was a blowout, which was, ugh, but the other one, oh my gosh, to go to the championship game a shot that goes in the bud the buzzer went off when the ball was in the air. I mean that's incredible. Yeah, uh, but. But I'm sorry, you you losing to pickleball? Do we have a problem, Zach? I don't know. I I just feel like this was an abnormal. Not to weekend. diss pickleball. Not to diss pickleball. Pickleball is fun. It's good. For, everyone can play it. It's not like I mean, it's like tennis, but you don't have to run around like tennis, so you don't have to be you know in shape like Rafael Nadal and all them. But uh, but still, the fact that you know the the XFL, it should it should have beat out pickleball, man. I mean. I I don't have a good answer. Yeah. I mean, I I I've tried to like talk about some of the other stuff that was on. I think there was a WWE event that was on or something oh, yeah, like that yeah, as well. Yeah. There was there was a WrestleMania event this weekend that also drew more viewers. Like there's a lot of entertainment, like athletic entertainment competition this weekend. The Final Four, the Women's Natty, and the 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 WrestleMania event were big draws. And so if You've got an inconsistent schedule like the XFL does. Sometimes it's on Thursday. Oh, sometimes it's on Friday. Oh, it's on Saturday most of the time. And then one Sunday game. When you have that kind of inconsistency in your scheduling, then it can lead to inconsistent viewership. I think moving forward, the league needs to play strictly on Saturdays and Sundays. Yes, that. And do you start it later? Spring, the USFL isn't starting until I think here in mid-April. You just you just bypassed all the March Madness, mm-hmm. all the. Uh, I remember there was another weekend that was tough because of big sporting events and stuff. And mm-hmm. it started after the Masters. Started after Ma- there is really I don't think there is a single big sporting event between the Masters and, like the NBA Finals. Yeah, the NBA Finals. Yeah, June. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe they need to make it a true spring league instead of february march because they don't feel like spring up here in nebraska i tell you what right so it's uh 
I don't know, something to think about. I know we, we don't get paid enough and don't have the position to really make any changes or, or uh, um, you know, talk to The Rock about changes. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's something I would look at if I was in that position. Well, and what's interesting there is I think they were trying to jump on the notion of, hey, there's still football after the Super Bowl. And I don't know how well that worked out for them. I, I, I truly don't. But I also don't have access to the ESPN Plus viewership numbers. All of the stats that we get are network stats. And I, for one, have been watching most of the games on ESPN Plus. So oh. there's there's still the potential that that number is skewed and they're not disclosing those skewed statistics based on ESPN plus viewership. So I I feel like there's still hope. And if they're getting the numbers that they're shooting for, then it doesn't matter if pickleball outgained them, as long as they're getting the eyes that they were hoping for over the course of the entire season and their sponsors are getting the exposure that they were, you know, being guaranteed preseason, then they would call it a successful year. As long as it's got the viewership that the sponsors paid for, then it's okay. My concern with starting it later is that you become direct competition with the USFL instead of the minimal overlap that you've got right now. The minute you go head-to-head and those numbers start presenting themselves, oh, week one of the XFL had X number of viewers, oh, week two of the USFL had this many viewers... That's 357,000 more eyes watching the New Jersey Generals than we're watching the Vegas Vipers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but the, also, the other thing is if you have faith in your product and you believe in the talent that you have in your league, why would you not want to go up against the other one? That would literally put them out of business. Because people would then say, oh, well, the XFL has a lot more talent than the USFL, unless they don't think they do. Well, like we said, we don't have access to the front office. We do so not have access to ESPN. All we're Sorry. all we're doing is speculating, but you're right. 144,000 on a Friday night, the very least I can guarantee is that that is probably the lowest FX viewership of the season. And mm-hmm. as a result, I am pretty certain they're not going to schedule any more Friday night games. I don't remember how the Monday night game went. I don't remember how the Thursday games are looking, but in my opinion, we just need to scrap the weekdays and focus on Saturday, Sunday games. I agree 100%. Well, so then let's talk about the game. Let's talk about, we, we've mentioned this guy before on the podcast. Let's let's talk about Donald Payne. This guy. For a profile, yeah. This guy came over to the XFL from the USFL and had a great season with the Houston Gamblers and is doing well for this other Texas team. That's about four hours to the north. Before we do that, a quick note. This was a season-high 339 yards of offense. If there's one bright spot oh. to take away from a 24-15 to 15 defeat, it's that, yes, we eclipsed two offensive touchdowns, finally, and we're over 300 yards of offense. If there are silver linings going into these last three weeks, I would say that it's our offensive productivity is improving, however slightly, and it is showing on the scoreboard and on the offensive statistics page. I agree, 100%. But, as you mentioned, we've got a defensive player to profile. We talked about him preseason, and we're highlighting some of his USFL stats, touting him as a potential top performer, and he is showing himself to be such a person. So let's go ahead and do our player profile right now in cylinder number three.
Joe, this guy has been the epitome of consistency for the Renegades defense. He has 58 total tackles, 22 solo, 36 assists, three tackles for loss. He is anchoring that middle part of the front seven. He's not necessarily pursuing the quarterback quite as much as he probably did in the USFL. He's He had a two sacks in the USFL last year. He's only got a half a sack this year, but he is anchoring the middle of the defense and is keeping us in games for the most part. And from the research that you were telling me about off the air, this is something that's been going back to even his college days at Stetson. Uh yeah, this man was a monster at Stetson. He had 538 total tackles in his four years. Wow. Uh, I believe that was fourth best all-time D1. Like, it's at everyone. All the D1 players. Out of fourth all, best all-time. Out of all D1. Wow. All D1. And uh, he had, 100, uh, had 195 assisted tackles. 343 solo tackles. Like, that's impressive, in my opinion. Nine interceptions. This guy was doing it all in... At Stetson. Where is Stetson at Florida, right? Uh, I believe so. I keep thinking Stetson Hat. And they're, they are the Hatters, so I'm like, oh, they got to be in Wyoming, right? But uh, no, they're not. They're in Florida. <laughs> you, uh, you would think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, DeLand, Florida. I don't even know where DeLand, Florida is. DeLand. I guess, I guess I'm a... <laughs> The the land of Florida. <laughs> That's what I was trying to go for. I was like, oh my god. But yeah, no, I mean, he started out there, ended up going to the NFL, did not play in the NFL, was a practice squad guy, got his start uh, in the XFL. Wait, oh no, did he start, did they play in the XFL last time? Yeah, he did, didn't he? In 2020? Yeah. I honestly don't remember. I could have sworn he did. I could be wrong. It's been a few years, kind of had a pandemic in the middle of it, so... Could be wrong. But regardless, he did go to the USFL and led the league with 117 tackles, two sacks, and three tackles for loss. So put up good numbers there. And then, of course, he's now with the Renegades now. And as you had mentioned some of his stats before, he's he's been, like you said, the anchor guy. The guy that the defense can kind of build around and play off of to put out a good product. And so far this year, it's been a good product. Minus a couple games, the defense has been stellar. Well, I mean, he he's had pretty much a minimum of seven tackles in every game that he's played. He had one off game where he had just five tackles against Orlando, which is not boding well considering they're our next opponent. But literally every other game, seven tackles against Vegas, seven against Houston, 12 against St. Louis, a combined 17 in the two games against San Antonio, and then another 10 uh, this past week against Seattle. He is the epitome of consistency. He is always around the ball. He is always working on pass breakups and such. And he even had a fumble recovery against Orlando and had a interception in the home game against the Brahmas. So this guy is just a football magnet. He is flying around to the ball and is doing everything he can to keep this defense on lockdown. By the way, I heard that Josh Hawkins had a successful surgery on his Good. ACL. Good. So we're, we're very excited for that and hopeful that he's able to return uh, to the field sooner rather than later. But even with players like Hawkins going down, you account for players like Will Hill, who we have talked about previously, and then players like Donald Payne. There are so many bright spots to this 
Renegades defense that it is very fun to to see that effort uh, resulting in not just I don't know how to put it like good vibes, but you're seeing yeah. you're seeing good stats. Like there are some players out there, like DJ Augustine, point guard for the Longhorns. Oh boy, he did not have great stats, but he was a, a, a leader. He was a distributor, and he he did what he could to try to make other players better, and was pretty solid on defense. But those didn't show up very much in the stats book. Payne is not just a leader for this defense. It's showing on the stats page as well, which yeah, is a, like, which is a really great thing to see. Like Derek Jeter. Yeah, I went there. You went there? I went oh, there. Dude, his defense was suspect. I, we can get into that a whole You're going time. after the captain. Wow. One. I tried yeah, to go sorry. obscure De- Texas defense. reference for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you did, and I appreciate that. I haven't heard DJ Augustine's name in years, but you know, we're talking guys who are leaders, guys who make people better around them, but maybe don't show up on the stat sheet. Derek Jeter, I know he had 3,000 hits. Two plays since 1996. I mean, come on, man. Like... I'm not saying I'd have 2,000 hits if I played that long because I definitely wouldn't even get maybe one hit. But, you know, he is, like you said, one of those guys that it doesn't matter what the stat sheet says. What matters is how he makes everyone else around him better. That's the mark of a great leader and a great team player. So to to back up the question that you were asking previously, he did not have a stint in the second Mm. iteration of the XFL. He was actually team jumping at that time. He he had a couple of stints with the Jaguars in the 2019 area and then was with Washington around July of 2020. So there was a little bit of a, of a gap there. And then in uh, November of 2020, he was signed and then released by the Dolphins. So that was during his time where he was kind of in and out of different practice squads and in and out of different teams trying to make a name for himself. Um, but he really, really made a name for himself in the USFL. The the inaugural season, he was uh, selected by the Houston Gamblers, and he was named Player of the Week in Week 7. And then in Week 10, he was again named the Defensive Player of the Week, led the league with 117 tackles in 10 games. That is, that is what, almost 12 tackles per game? 11.7, right? 117 divided by 10. 117 divided by 10 is uh, yeah, 11.7. So yeah, he was he was averaging 12 tackles per game. Incredible. That's just ridiculous. And so it's it's really cool to see that even a player from Stetson University. Here's the other really funny thing. We had a Donald from Stetson University that maybe, maybe that's why I feel felt like he played the exit because Donald Payne and Donald Parm are both very similar. They are. Don- <laughs> we, we, had, we had some, some players named Donald P from Stetson University that played really, really well for us on offense. It was Parham in 2020, and then here in 2023, it's Donald Payne. I really think, considering the success that Parham has had with the Chargers, mm-hmm. I can see the season with the Gamblers and this season with the Renegades being Donald Payne's opportunity to get back into the NFL. I agree as well. And, you know, whether he gets opportunities in the NFL, you know, like we say, he jumps around practice squads and whatnot. But, you know, he he 
like I said, he's proven himself right now. And that's, again, what we've said it before. I'll say it again. That's what the XFL is about. It's about giving these guys a chance to get back into the spotlight for the NFL. One quick note that I feel like is worth mentioning. The top five statistical leaders in tackles are all linebackers. Jordan Williams with San Antonio, followed by Payne. And then Emmanuel Ellerby in Houston, C.J. Avery with Vegas, and Willie Harvey, a linebacker with St. Louis. The top five leading tacklers are all linebackers. Hey. And those and those are all names that are worth knowing. And I think if I'm an NFL scout, those are the top five guys that I am looking for to add to my practice squad to see what they can do. Because I learned recently, and I feel like I've talked about this before, I learned recently that practice squad players still make six figures. I know. I'm, look, man, I'll go play Rudy. I'll get the crap beat out of me for six figures, honestly, because the boy's poor. So if I if I do that for two years, if I go beat the crap out of me for two years, I've got a really good savings account. Yep. And I'm insured by the NFL. I've got yep. health insurance while I'm getting beat up. Yeah, and, which you need, yes. And I've got enough seed money to start investments and build a 401k. All it takes is two years of doing that. Zach, go, get, get, get out there. Call Jerry Jones. <laughs> Jerry, I will get the crap beat out of me, but I will give you 100% for that six-figure paycheck. For a six-figure paycheck. And so, and, you know, I, I don't recall exactly what the paychecks are for XFL players, but even if it's a chance to make it to the practice squad. Yeah, take it. I, I am taking it the whole way. So really looking forward to seeing what Donald Payne can do uh, in these last few games. By the way, I found out where DeLand, Florida is. Oh, where's DeLand? It's a, it's a northern suburb that is kind of northeast of Orlando. Maybe a 30 to 40 minute drive. And it's between Orlando and Daytona Beach. You bitch, your sweet buddy that I would be at. Epcot every weekend doing drinks around the world if I went to Stetson in the land. And I'd be over at Daytona and rubbing it in my buddy Mondo's face because he's a huge NASCAR fan. Oh, okay. There you and, go. And I'd be like, yeah, I, I'd meet you at Epcot, but then I'd also be up at Daytona. And I love the beach. I'm a beach bum. Oh, so. well, yeah. Be of course, you gotta go to the beach, yeah. Yeah, gotta, gotta spend time the at the land. beach, too. Awesome. Where awesome. you where you at? I'm at the land. Well, I know land. I know I know that, but you're not into water, are you? No, I'm at the land. Well, I'll do it for this week's episode of uh Renegades <laughs> Round. I don't even know what accent that was. Is that I, I don't know either. I <laughs> po apologies to the viewers. Uh what that was uh, the land, the water. Ha! <laughs> Let's go oh. into this preview before we uh, get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's getting late. Apparently, too late for us. But uh, uh, we yep. got we got one more thing to bring to you tonight, and that's a preview for the upcoming game against Orlando. So rev them up one more time, Renegades fans. It is time for cylinder number four. So taking a look at this game, Orlando, as we mentioned found a way to beat D.C., which is probably the upset of the year. A winless team finding a way to win against the previously undefeated D.C. defenders. And when you, when you look at 
the quarter summary, it's so crazy to look at how they got a touchdown early in the fourth, and then it was punt, fumble, fumble, punt. Five plays, 32 yards in 26 seconds, and DC misses a 63-yard field goal at the buzzer. And no Lose. shame. No shame, son, because there's NFL guys who can't make that. So No. No, I'm not I'm not shaming it. I'm I'm just No, no, I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm but. using it as a as a testament that you know, Orlando melted the clock enough. They had a six play fifteen yard drive. So they got one first down and kept melting the clock and they punted it all the way down to DC's eighteen with twenty six seconds left. They did enough clock management to be able to put DC outside of field goal range. So their offense was productive enough late in the game, and the defense was productive enough to keep DC out of field goal range, and they win a one-point game. They had previously lost a one-point game to the Renegades, lest you forget, a 10-9 finish back when their offense was relatively anemic. How can anyone forget that game? Dude, they put up 400 yards of offense on DC in this game. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared, Zach. 400 yards of offense. 12 passing first downs, 11 rushing first downs. It was a balanced attack. And it's just it's crazy to think that Quentin Dormady would go 27 of 34 for 328 yards, three passing touchdowns, and then also have three rushing touchdowns on eight carries for 22 yards. If Arlington stands a chance of any kind in this ballgame, in any shape or form, they have got to find a way to contain Orlando's number 12. If they don't, we're in for a really long game. I agree, and if my computer stood any chance of surviving this podcast, I needed to plug it in. So... <laughs> we're good we're good uh and yeah it's it's gonna come down to can the defense stop number 12 and is luis perez ready is, is our ready? number 12 ready to go ah it's gonna be a 12 versus 12 kind of thing i saw that that's the number that perez is donning uh for the remainder of this season so yeah it's gonna come down to containing their number 12 and how productive is our number 12 going to be? As I mentioned during uh, an earlier portion of the of the episode, he's got over 900 passing yards. So it's not like Perez is an ineffective quarterback. It's not like we've got some flaky inconsistencies going on when it comes to Luis Perez. We've definitely had some inconsistencies when it comes to Drew Plitt and Kyle Sloter. As much of a fan I was of riding the Sloat boat, he didn't pan out this year, and I'm I'm bummed about that, but I'm also really stoked to see what Perez might be capable of. I am as well, and hopefully that week of looking at the playbook does him well because at this point at this point, I think this is like I've said before, this is this is the factor right here. This is the deciding factor. If Luis Perez comes in and struggles, and it's clear that it's not Receivers dropping the ball. It's not the O line, uh, you know, struggling. Then it's got to be the offensive play calling. So I'm hoping he does well. I mean, he already has played the Guardians. Uh, they beat him 35 to 32 at home, in uh, in beautiful Cashman Field. 
And uh, <laughs> he was the he was the only QB to play for the Vipers that game. 20-28 for 269 yards and three touchdowns. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I mean, that is probably... We, we could wish for that kind of efficiency here in Arlington. As far as going almost 300 yards, no picks, three touchdown passes... We just eclipsed two offensive touchdowns for the first time last week, and both of them were rushing touchdowns from Davion Smith. I'm not knocking Davion Smith. I feel like we need to feed him a little bit more in order to help Perez with the transition. But if Perez could even go, you know, 15 for 25 for 200 yards and two touchdown passes, then I'd be very happy. I'd say that we stood a very good chance, because if we could be that efficient on offense and get another touchdown run from Smith, maybe a couple of field goals. I, I think we can still win this one, but I'm really scared of this having to go from being a defensive game like it was in that 10-9 to final a few weeks ago to potentially being an offensive shootout because of the new scheme that Orlando's got and the new productivity that they've got in the quarterback. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like our chances if this becomes a shootout, honestly, just because I haven't seen Perez play with for the Renegades yet. So uh, when it comes to score predictions, this is this is when I have to leave. I have to think a little bit about this. I don't know if you got yours ready. I, I don't know if I have one in particular lined up, but I would like to think that Perez is going to have the best offensive showing for the team this year. So I'm I'm going to go a little bold here. And and I'm going to say it's going to be a 22-17 finish, Arlington. I'm going to say 22-17. I think we, we get that, that third, that elusive third offensive touchdown that we haven't gotten all year. And I think the defense does just enough to keep us in front. I'm going to be bold as well. I think Perez tears up the Guardians yet again. Give me 25-18, Arlington. 25-18, Arlington. Now, how realistic are we going to be next week against D.C.? Are we going to pick D.C. Uh, to win? We've been picking Arlington let's all year. Let's, let's see what happens here this week, because if the offense yet again barely scores 15 points or doesn't score anywhere close to that, then I've given up all hope. It's not the quarterback play. It's not the offensive. It's it's something else with coaching, and you can't really change that, especially when you hire your friends, Bob. So, God, you're looking like a real Tom Herman right now, dude. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, but hopefully, like I said, Perez is, you know, a good quarterback, responsible to the scheme, and everything's fine and dandy, and we, we kick the crap out of the Guardians. I would definitely like to kick the crap out of the Guardians, but from what both of us are saying, it's going to be a one-possession ball game, which, I mean, honestly, a lot of Arlington's games have been one-possession ball games. Hell, even last week's game was technically a one-possession ball game, so... I feel like Arlington's record could be a lot better if they had been just a little more consistent in a couple of areas and won the turnover battle. We tied the turnover battle one to one in this ball game, and it ended up being a one possession finish. So that one turnover, that one interception could have been one of the key factors of that one punt that we did that we probably shouldn't have or something like that. Yep. Or I think we got down to the 12 and went for it on fourth down and missed. So, like, if we convert that fourth down instead of missing and turning it over, like, it's a game of inches. 
It's a game of, of singular plays. And I feel like Perez is better equipped to handle those singular plays and those key moments than some other players that we've had. So I'm not trying to oversell him or overhype him, but I'm I'm excited to see what Perez can do. And hopefully he takes us to four and four. And, you know, hopefully um, the Brahmas can pull the upset at home against the Roughnecks. And, you know, we could be tied for first in the division by the end of the week. Who knows? I would love to see that. Because if we can do that and we can beat Houston in week 10 at home, who knows? We could end up being the first place team in the South and be, you know, making a a chance for a, a home game to go to the XFL championship in San Antonio. That would be really cool. But there's still a lot of ball left to play. And next week, one of our cylinders may be taking a look at the playoff shakeup. We don't have a great view of it now, but I really feel like the chips are going to fall uh, in a lot of ways following this week, especially with the defenders playing the Red Hot Sea Dragons in Seattle on Sunday evening. Seattle's won five in a row. DC just lost a game. I really think we'll have a better view of the North and the South by the end of week eight. I agree. I can't wait to watch. You and me both, man. You and me both. Where can the folks at home keep up with you outside of this podcast? As always, follow me on Twitter at Joe Scanlon TV. Yes, I have a blue check mark. No, I didn't pay for it. So, yeah, Twitter. How'd you do Twitter, that? Twitter, you got Twitter. you got verified as a legacy. I account? was a legacy account, but because of our all our all father Elon Musk it now says I either paid Twitter blue or I'm a legacy verified account you decide so but it does it for everybody Taylor Swift apparently pays for Twitter blue or he's a legacy verified account so okay. yeah uh, but uh, Twitter oh, well. well as far as the 11,000 fans in attendance go um, <laughs> Taylor kind of outshined everybody tonight maybe that's or, why there was maybe that's week. why there was nobody there at the game dude, they were all dude dude there was no parking okay there was no parking for miles around the usual lots that that xfl fans that renegades fans could park in they were usually on a regular game day going for 25 that weekend because of taylor swift they were going for 50 that's when you go to the six flags parking lot oh the, uh, yeah this should be open yeah yeah, I think Six Flags was open, but I think they were keeping an eye on people and whether they were going into the park or not. Uh, of course so, they were. So, I mean, there it was really, really tough parking, and, and Taylor had, like, a combined 200,700 fans over her three concerts or something like that. It was just insane. The Rangers had opening day this weekend that the Renegades were playing as well. So there was a lot yeah. of competition Good. for attention. Good for you for surviving. I would never have stepped foot anywhere north of Park Row and south yeah, of I-30. That's awful. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. Luckily, there was a staff lot that I was able to park in because I was working the game. But if it hadn't if it hadn't been there, I wouldn't have gone. I was not paying fifty bucks to go work. So screw that. <laughs> but as for me. You can follow me at Zach the Voice on all social handles. I'm getting ready to go on a little weekend excursion with my bride, so we'll post some pictures from that. Ooh. And um, it's her birthday weekend, so happy birthday hey, to my wife. Happy birthday! And uh, yeah, we're going to be doing a little weekend excursion, and then I'm doing baseball for Arlington High School. So if you're interested in hearing my play-by-play, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Zach the Voice. 
and keep up with all of the game day graphics and highlights and stuff. I got to call a Grand Slam the other day. I saw the, I saw the post on Twitter. It was cool. I was so excited to call my first Grand Slam, dude. That was awesome. So. Yeah, and they look pretty good. I don't know. Maybe State? Possibly? I don't know. Well, they're going to get past the first round for sure, because depending on how the chips fall, we're definitely not drawing Dallas Jesuit for the third year in a row. Oh, jeez. And if we can get somebody like Berkner or MacArthur instead, then yeah, we're making it to the second round and possibly beyond. So oh, there you go. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. We'll be playing May baseball for sure. But uh, that's all stuff you can find on the social pages. You don't need to hear me talking about baseball on a XFL-themed podcast. So <laughs> go follow our socials and go follow at Renegades underscore pod on Twitter as well to get updates on when the new episodes drop and to see our thoughts and our perspectives during the game as they happen. I'm pretty sure we'll both be able to keep up with the game over the course of this weekend one way or another. Joe will probably have a better vantage point than I will because I'll probably be at Fossil Rim that that it, afternoon. It, is it Saturday? It is a Saturday. Ooh, I might be golfing in Omaha, but I will do my best to keep up to keep track of the uh, of the. You'll be you'll be golfing, and I'll be looking at zebras. That's <laughs> and not the refs. <laughs> and not the yeah, not the referees yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah. All right, good stuff, man. All righty, that's gonna do it for this episode of Renegades Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of our lives. We probably shared a little bit too much in those last five we minutes did. there, but that's okay. We appreciate you all being a part of the show and for tuning in and for being fans of the Renegades and the XFL. For Joe, I'm Zach signing off for now, but until next time, everyone, a reminder, raise, raise some hell. hell.